Welcome to Unlocking Brand, a part of our Siegel & Gale podcast series. Here, our global brand experts host live case studies, deliver actionable insights, and answer key questions on the topics that matter to brand marketers today. In this episode, Sam Burns, Global Chief Marketing Officer, and Lauren Boyman, U.S. Chief Marketing Officer, KPMG, join our colleagues, Mel McShane, Executive Director of Strategy, Rafael Medina, Creative Director, and Margaret Malloy, Global Chief Marketing Officer, for an in-depth conversation that explores how to execute an award-winning brand refresh. This is Siegel & Gale Says. Hello and welcome to the Siegel & Gale Future of Branding. This is our Unlocking Brand series, and I'm your host for today, Margaret Malloy, Global Chief Marketing Officer of Siegel & Gale. Siegel & Gale is a brand-led experience firm. For over 50 years, we have been helping to build some of the world's top brands. In this series, we go behind the scenes to examine an exceptional brand building case study. And today we are thrilled to feature KPMG, one of the world's leading professional services firms. We will explore how to evolve an iconic brand, including how to use data to achieve alignment, how to bring the employee experience to life, and how to use design to express strategy. For this wonderful conversation, I'm absolutely thrilled to welcome two executives from KPMG, as well as two of my colleagues who worked on this program. Please help me welcome Sam Burns, Global CMO of KPMG, joining from London. Hello, good afternoon, Sam. Hi, Margaret, and thank you for inviting me. Absolutely thrilled. And in New York, we've got your colleague, Lauren Boyman, CMO, KPMG US. Hello, Lauren. Hi, Margaret. Delighted to have you. My colleague, Raphael Medina, our creative director at Siegel & Gale in New York, is here too. Hi, Raph. Hi, Margaret. Excited to be here. And the wonderful Mel McShane, executive director, strategy, also Siegel & Gale, New York. Hello, Mel. Hi, Margaret. Good to be here. So, folks, over the course of the next hour, we're going to go deep into this case study. I do invite your questions, so please put the questions in the Q&A. I will endeavor to get through them through the course of the conversation and potentially leave some time in the hour to go directly to your questions. So let's set the stage, shall we, Sam? How did you know it was time to do a brand refresh? It's one of those questions we at Siegel and Gale and many of our CMO friends ponder all the time. What was your perspective? Set the stage for us. Tell us a little about KPMG and the motivation for this program. Thanks, Margaret. So, you know, our brand overall is 150 years old. And, you know, we say it's the reason clients choose to work with us and our people choose to join us. But just think about how much the world has changed just in the last four years alone. Think about the impact of that on business and business models. I'm thinking of the rise of ESG, the advancement of technology, digital transformation, the future of work. How do you sort of stay relevant? So there was also enough empirical data, I would say, to say our brand wasn't performing as strongly as we liked. So and of most importance, really, is a perception gap around some of the areas related to our clients' future needs. 
particularly around big transformational projects and technology-led solutions. So everybody knows we do audit and tax, but all our advisory and consulting capabilities are perhaps less well-known. We knew we have a really good story to tell. We've got some fantastic client successes. We've got deep technical capabilities, some great accolades from analysts, but that story wasn't hitting the market and our brand and where our positioning wasn't as clear and the look and feel was a little bit old fashioned for the digital era. So certainly those things weren't enabling us either. So we knew we needed to be more modern. We wanted to be the destination for top talent. Um, we're also keen to address our employer brand simultaneously. And from an ESG lens, we also wanted to enhance our role as a societal brand. So plus in a business like ours, where you're dealing with 144 member firms around the world and 236,000 people all operating under one brand, they still have a degree of autonomy in their countries or territories. So you start to see fragmentation creep in. So people start creating sort of new campaign positionings and generally pushing the boundaries, I would say, of the brand guidelines, especially for those innovative, more entrepreneurial parts of our business who always mistakenly think that they can depart from the master brand to stand out. So what I call brand meanders, and they're always a good indicator too that it's time for a change. So it's been six years since our last brand refresh. So it's starting to feel a little bit like a reboot, say every five or six years, Margaret. Interesting. I love that phrase, brand meandering. It doesn't sound like you're scolding people, but the message is really clear that there's an opportunity to maybe achieve more alignment. But before we get into the particulars of the program, just remind us, why is it important for a professional services firm to have a distinct point of view in the first place? Yeah, well, you know, we recognize our brand is our most valuable asset. And in a services business like ours, you know, your brand is literally delivered through your people. So it's, you know, fundamental. But it's an interesting one, Margaret, in professional services. You know, I've worked in this sector for 30 years. And I always remember a quote from many years ago. I think it was in a book called The Mind Gym. And they talked about how well brand is received. And they said, except with engineers, accountants, and production workers, where the B word is associated with smoke and mirrors and flim flam. So I'm pleased to say we've moved on somewhat since then. And, and certainly our leaders are really comfortable talking about the brand. But you'll still find people tend to talk more so about reputation and reputation is technically an output of brand. And then we have, you know, we're part of a subcategory called like the big four in accountancy. There's also magic circling law. Often the brand of a particular subcategory can be bigger than the players within it. So you know, there are pros and cons to this. So when something good happens, then everybody can benefit. But when something bad happens to a particular firm, then trust can be eroded across the sector or across the category. So people can struggle to name which firm did what. And, and without a doubt, there's also a core group who think that it doesn't always matter below that category level. So people move around between firms so much and, you know, clients are therefore hiring the individuals. But, but since COVID, you know, we've seen brand and reputation really become the number one driver of choice in the sector now, particularly for advisory services. And that's above subject matter expertise and deep industry expertise as well. So it's going to be interesting to see if that stays, but it's definitely become more important. And then being clear what you want to coalesce around and be recognized for, as you call it, that distinctive point of view, I think that's become key. And if you can get your people to embody that, then that can really drive awareness and consideration with clients and also how you then fare as an employer brand too. So for me, it's all about the execution. It's hard to come up with something for that distinctive point of view that's really unique, but it's how you then execute it that gives you a degree of ownership. 
That's such an excellent distinction you're making between the what and the how, especially, I imagine, in an organization with, as you indicated, over 200,000 professionals who are thoughtful professionals who are committing their career to this brand. So a very significant task. Mel, I'm going to pull you in here to sort of tell us how did we settle on the positioning? With that as a backdrop, how did we employ rigor working with the team and where did we land? Sure. So I think, you know, Sam gave you a really good scene set there about the the task at at hand. This was something that was going to be a very important investment for KPMG. And of course, with so many different member firms, you're balancing a lot of um, different interests and, and needs. And one of the things we realized very early on is you know, this is a very data-driven organization, a very rigorous organization. Um, and so part of the process was thinking, that how are we going to get as many different insights as possible um, so that we could have a really r- rigorous fact base? This obviously connects very much with what, how Siegel and Gale approaches these, these projects to really try and gather what's on people's minds and where, where's the world headed. The second piece of this was to actually think about how do we do it in a really inclusive way? And that's inclusive both in terms of the people of KPMG. Very early on, a lot of the, you know, the senior business leaders and and partners were keen to point out that the future of the business didn't necessarily lie with them. And they really wanted to, for example, get the perspective of younger folks in the organization, newer people to the organization, to make sure that this is something that could be a lot more inclusive and equitable, even in, in the process and so as part of that, we were surveying not only um, business leaders and, and uh, inside the business and prospects and, and clients, but also speaking to people who are opinion leaders or people who um, really have a perspective on, say, the future of technology and sustainability. So I think it's a real thoughtful credit to KPMG that they were so open to taking on board uh, these opinions, you know, rather than uh, maybe defaulting to, to what is expected of the big four. And then the last piece I'd add to that, too, is... Um, There was a real desire to be ambitious and forward-looking with this. And so we're really proud of the core that KPMG has, of course, in audit. But also, how could this, and tax, but also how could this be a positioning that could really sustain the growth in newer areas that we talked about and really step up to not just drive the business across all the different lines of service, but how could we really come through and play more of a societal role as well? This is obviously a firm that is so scaled in itself with over 200,000 people and you know, over 100 member firms. But also if you start thinking about all the different areas that it touches and all the different firms that it touches and how deeply involved it is in even setting up the kind of like the infrastructure around things like sustainability, you, you start to think about, well, this needs to be something very ambitious um, for us as a firm. So that's I mean, a bit of the background. I think, you know, to give you a peek behind the curtains that were the positioning itself, I mean, we can share a little bit of that because one thing that we landed on is, you know, a nice summary, which we can share of just what the the positioning is. And what we really landed on is that actually KPMG has an incredibly powerful kind of engine to get to insights. And it's not just the insights that it gets to, it's really got the capabilities to help businesses and organizations and individuals see new opportunities and then actually take take advantage of them. 
because it's got such an array of capabilities within the organization. And uh, this was a really kind of defining moment for KPMG, as you might imagine, where all different things were, were explored. But the sheer positivity of this and immediately people could start seeing how they could work with this, whether they were in tax, advisory, recruiting, etc., was a real light bulb moment. And to just you know, give her a feel for some of the reasons then that it was was chosen is by leading with insights, obviously that, that helps us to lean into technology, et cetera. But there's a real human factor in that as well. And we really wanted that about the people we have, the processes and how we use technology, what clients were looking for, what really transformative outcomes for their business and, and KPMG, how they could support that. And then we're constantly sort of thinking about there's the the shareholders, in this case, the partners, their value or the, the shareholder value for our clients, but also thinking about stakeholders as well. And that the last point here, and things this comes really comes through and the creatives will talk about it, but really seeing um, a world of opportunity. And, and again, this 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 project was taking place you know, through the pandemic, through different waves of the pandemic and but there was always this sense of that, that, that we can have a positive outlook, like human ingenuity will conquer many of these things. And, uh, you know, this idea of a world of opportunity is something that really ran through um, a lot of the work. So, Mel, I'm getting some questions around the specifics of the process. Mm. How did you conduct the interviews? Was it group? Was it individual? Talk to us a little bit about the process and your assessment of what worked well. Yeah, sure. So I think what works well is when we actually have a combination of those things. So some of these things were, um, you know, in-depth interviews uh, with external folks. Some of these were taking place, um, gathering together particular groups of, of, of leaders or those with a particular perspective in KPMG. And this also gave an opportunity for people who maybe don't get to be in a room very often together to be really thinking about what's the future of the organization, what genuinely makes us special versus others and you know it's quite amazing to be able to you know in that time where we're remote from each other to be hearing from completely disparate parts of the world right it really felt like the world was coming you know in that case to my living room and we were able to be thinking about what is it that we'd like to see for KPMG and what we'd like to see for the world and then you know as, as, as those who follow Siegel and Gale are aware we have a number of proprietary research techniques ourselves which really were able to unearth what truly motivates people in buying these types of services, what is shared across different lines of service so that we could be confident that we were going to be creating something that could work, you know, at the highest level, but also, you know, right down into a particular line of services uh, um, demand gen. So long way of saying lots of techniques and uh, I think it's a real testament to the team to be able to then draw that all together into to one single positioning. And internal interviews as well as opinion leaders and KPMG clients? Yes, in fact, uh, I mean, Lauren and, and, and Sam, you might recall, we su- surveyed also every employees at KPMG and then weighted them. So in actual fact, there's, you know, there's a couple, few of us here today, but thousands and thousands of people have participated in this process. Yes. Move to Lauren in a moment, but the question's coming in around how you achieve consensus. So lots of inputs. How do you settle then on the positioning? Is consensus even the right lens through which to look at the problem. So Sam, did you would you want to take a few words on this? I'm happy to. I mean, I, I think it's always hard to get consensus, but I think there's a, a you know, with going with the insights position as well, it's really important to to use that in the approach. So, you know, use data to really make those decisions. Because 
Now, when, when we looked at the rationale for why do we choose the insights-led positioning versus the other options that we looked at, well, it just tested better. And we can say it tested better by 10% with our advisory buyers and 12% and by 12% better with future buyers. So people who are not existing clients. And that was one of the key drivers we were looking for as well. So then the other route. So it's really hard then for people to necessarily argue with that evidence. And people will always have subjective views. But if you bring the data onto the table and say, look, we've market tested and this is what it comes, it it takes that subjectivity off the table. You know, we have a route to go with. And, and I think in an organization like ours, where particularly a partnership structure where there are lots of views, you have to take it down that route to to get to an eventual outcome. You'll never get everybody to agree. That That's what I would say. Yes, thank you, Sam. And thank you for emphasizing that you market tested it. It wasn't opinion of the folks on this call and your teams. Yeah. So let's move to a moment, Lauren. I want you to talk about alignment around business goals. I recall talking to you just before you joined KPMG and you had a lot of passion for the organization and a lot of clarity around the business opportunity. So spend a moment, please, in aligning business goals with the Brand Refresh initiative and how you and the team thought about that and framed that. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Margaret. So I do recall that call as well with you before I joined. And marketing is is truly fundamentally supposed to be an enabler of business growth. So a brand should represent the business strategy. And I, I think, honestly, the refresh that we did was very linked to our firm's strategy. When we started this, we were in the middle of a global pandemic. There was so much going on around everyone. So that, in a way, created an impetus to reflect on how we wanted to be seen in the market the pandemic taught us that we are capable of adapting to change, um, especially in the face of challenging times. And, and that was the time in the U.S. business that we embarked on a pretty transformative front office transformation, which at this point we've been working on for over a year now. But that front office transformation put a lot of focus on how to achieve growth in such an uncertain environment. And it's really about being able to interpret and react to market signals, being able to bring real-time data and insights to the table to help our clients solve their challenges. And so the insights positioning was a perfect representation of what we were doing as a firm because that's really what our front office transformation was was all about, to enable us to leverage our collective relationships and our collective insights as a firm for the benefit of, of our clients. But, you know, you could think maybe a transformation like that is really all about technology or all about process, but it's also very much fundamentally about how we want to be seen and how we want our people to feel to bring that transformation to life. So this brand refresh was about showing the new, fresh KPMG and the many capabilities that Sam talked about that we are not known for, but that we have. This multidisciplinary firm, when all of those pieces of the firm work together, it creates really great energy and really great insight. So anchoring the brand refresh in what we're aiming to achieve as a business, it was an opportune time to do that because of that link to our business strategy. So our brand really became a tailwind to what we're doing overall as a business to drive growth. And Lauren, when you say your front office, what do you mean? I mean, how 
our sales and marketing capabilities connect to show up in the marketplace. And it could be a very broad term, inclusive of our website, how our you know people uh, present themselves in meetings, but it can also be more the systems and technology that enable our people to have those connections and have those insights. So when this is public, we have a partnership with Salesforce that is uh, powering this. But like I said, it's it's not just the technology or the process or the workflow which changes. It it really is meant to be a broader how we show up and and our brand plays a really large role in that. Lauren, can you speak for a moment as to how this brand refresh is impacting the various stakeholder experiences? So Sam outlined the importance of brand. You've emphasized its materiality to driving growth, but also experience, how on a day-to-day basis it's affected. And I recognize we're early days. Yeah. I mean, a brand should be a constant reminder of what our people should aim to represent. So I would say that it shapes our client experience because, number one, our, our people are thinking every day about how they can leverage data and how they can push themselves to get to that insight in whatever it is that they're doing for the client or for the firm. So we all need to be thinking about what analysis is really going to make a difference in this moment, you know, for the client or for the firm need and how our partners and professionals can bring the brand to life is to always think about that. How can we bring data and insight to drive a different outcome, to to have a different action or to maybe tackle a client situation in, in a different way? And when we first did the brand rollout, we wanted to engage our people and we wanted them to really embrace the brand and feel the brand. So we did a series of brand roadshows around the country. And in order to physically bring our brand positioning to life, we had an actual insights window. And I know we didn't talk yet about the visual identity, but the insights window is a is an important piece of that. So we actually had an insights window prop for people to pose with, to hold, to see themselves with and, and in. And that hopefully was a really inspirational aspect because it it is what what we learned from our clients that people want. You know, our clients want, they're looking for an organization that's going to bring insight and then it's our people that do that. So yes. um, a lot of data out there, but how that actually comes to fruition in a client conversation or in a client engagement within Insights is to solve the issue at hand. You know, really, that's what makes a firm stand out. Understood, Lauren. And there's a question coming in, maybe Mel, you'd like to address it, around how we're avoiding confirmation bias in the process of aligning around the Insights positioning. Anything you'd like to comment on there in terms of, you did indicate the expansiveness of the research efforts. Yeah, I mean, well, I think proof of that is that some some things changed on not the, the core positioning, but um, what we did on the employer brand is a direct result of the input that we got from around the world. So, and actually the, you know, the leadership was was very keen to take the, the counsel of, of, of their employees and talent on that. So, you know, I think it's a way of saying is that even, even if we had strong feelings about certain things, in, in some cases, we're like, well, we have to defer to the, the audience here. Let's put, put the user first. So, you know, as you might imagine with an organization like KPMG, there are a lot of checks and balances when it comes to the veracity of the data, et cetera. So, you know, we really, really had to put ourselves through it um, and be very 
I'm transparent about the methodologies. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah, no, that makes sense, Mel. Well, I'm going to move in a moment to the visual identity. Anything else you wanted to underline as regards the strategy and positioning? Since we're touching on it, we're mentioning people so much. And I think it's a real, uh, one of the in- interesting things about this project is uh, we were genuinely able to approach developing a global positioning and a collective employer brand at the same time which is something that often organizations aspire to do, you know, in, a, in an ideal world, that is then brand strategy is what you want to be doing too, is very much one, one, one feeds the other. And in this case, we were able to take on board uh, to doing the employer brand too. And you mentioned experience there. That's an area where we're working directly with, with the team. They're extremely keen that the employer brand, yes, could guide communications, but moreover, it could really address the experience and, you know, some of the things that we've been working through with them are like, how does that change our recruiting? How does that change actually our learning and development? How can the brand really be a guide for how we develop programs as well as how we communicate them? And I think, you know, we're really proud of the way that that work has been developed and rolled out. Hold that thought, because I'd like to come back to that. But we've been teasing everyone in regards to the visual identity and the visual expression. So I I think it's time to bring in Sam and Raf on that. Sam, iconic identity, been around many, many years. How do you think about the brief, as it were, to uh, have design express the new strategy? Can you set the stage for that? And then I'd love to invite Raf to show us some of the before and after. Yes, thanks, Margaret. And I guess this is like the fun part. And it's also the part which is highly subjective. But actually, interesting enough, as we go through this, this is probably the one area we've had universal positive feedback on. So, but, you know, back to that DNA point, you know, we've been, I would say, a very blue brand for 150 years now. And that's certainly our most famous brand code after our logo. So we knew we wanted to still lead with that sort of signature blue, but we wanted to modernize it. And you know, bring in accent colors, making it more vibrant for the digital age. Plus, we wanted to make it more accessible. So I remember some really clear market feedback a few years ago in the UK where female graduates were sort of saying to us, you're a bit too blue. And it was something we needed to address. You know, we also, I guess, wanted to fix some things that weren't working as well. So we had an accessibility issue with our font, um, which we wanted to address. We do a lot of PowerPoints. We wanted to increase the optionality around PowerPoints and give our people um, more variety around that. We had a big debate whether to change the logo. And, you know, there's a huge price tag attached to changing the logos, you know, and you've got to be certain it's going to add enough value. And I'm a little bit from the Mark Ritson School of Branding here, which says, you know, unless there's a really good reason to change, then don't do it. Um, But I'm also conscious we're the only big four firm that haven't changed their logo, certainly, um, you know, ever really. And therefore, we've kind of looked into that and say, is there also a way of turning that into a positive advantage to ourselves as well? And then again, looking back at heritage and DNA for clues as to how you would do that. I think most importantly for me, and this was the challenge to to Raf and and the creative team uh, there was that, Every design feature for me has to have a purpose and a meaning and it has to link back to that positioning. And, you know, in an accounting firm, certainly there is no room for design for design's sake. So so that was the, the context, I would say. So uh, maybe Raf wants to, to pick it up and uh, talk a little bit more about what we did. Yeah. So, 
No room for flourishes. <laughs> I was going to say, it, there really wasn't room for that. I mean, you can imagine it was a bit of a, ta- a daunting ask. But if you kind of look at, take a step back, well, well, what you'll see is that we really needed to take a bird's eye view of the brand. And we really owed it to Sam and Lauren to keeping that holistic view to really kind of think about, well, what are the implications around the positioning and how we're expressing that and bringing that to light? So that was really kind of the, the brief that really kind of started this conversation and we were sort of following this, this, this dialogue throughout the entire process. And it really became an exercise in sort of positioning and seeing how we can drive that positioning to deliver this notion of his insights. So we, we kind of looked at where we were. Obviously, Sam mentioned this is an iconic brand. It's been around for a really long time and it has a reputation. So what do we do? How do we take these legacy elements you know, primarily the logo, this this world of blue that was really kind of like so deeply embedded into the DNA of the identity and really utilize that to, to sort of to become like a jumping point into this exercise of bringing insights, focused positioning into this visual language that really kind of helps uh, one sort of uh, create an illumination to help guide clients through the identity, but also convey the sense of optimism and this hopefulness uh, towards, you know, when we're thinking about the future. And the fact that we were sort of transitioning from a primarily print-driven brand experience to a digital-first brand experience. So as you can see, a lot of the byproduct of being a global firm with, with multiple member firms, there were some really good underpinnings to the brand that a cohesion started to sort of uh, fall apart over time. Um, so all of this sort of came together to create this, you know, uh, fantastic opportunity to jump into that refresh that we've been kind of talking about. And um, what we could do is maybe click on the next slide to look at that, what, you know, what are the sort of the the foundational elements of that ended up being, right? So we kind of looked at how can we take our core assets and optimize them to deliver insights and reveal these opportunities around the brand experience. So obviously we retained our logo, we kind of moved it away from this sign off to the center stage moment, right? Where it's capable of broadening how it's expressing and delivering that notion of insights as a hero element and actually takes on more of a, of a narrative based tool versus just being pushed off to the side. We also kind of looked at ways that we can broaden and enrich our signature colors to really deepen and emphasize and create more of a vibrant uh, nod to the sort of technology-driven digital experiences and the world that our clients are living in. And then, as you can see, it was an amplified version of that blue world that we were kind of talking about a little bit earlier. And then from there, Sam mentioned the fact that we were solving some of some of the user pain points, obviously around legibility. We kind of looked at the font and made it much bolder, more impactful, and it's kind of evolved that as well. So throughout this, this became for us more of an enrichment mindset. We weren't looking to completely, you know, move away from any of that equity. It was about finding new ways to think about what is the future of the brand? How do you bring it to level, uh, to life in a, in a way that's also meaningful in terms of delivering those insights? We, we mentioned the insights window earlier, and that became such an integral part of the system, which is also a reference to the logo itself. So in a lot of ways, you know, as a simplicity company, we were sort of embracing that that mindset and that ethos and that pulling that that methodology into this enrichment exercise to really make the brand as impactful and as vibrant and enriching as we possibly could. Raf, for the purposes of our podcast listeners who can't see this, might you describe the insights window, please? And also a little more specifically on the vibrancy around the colors. 
Absolutely. So the Insights window, as I mentioned, was derived from the logo, and the logo is comprised of these four rectangular forms, which in a lot of ways was kind of sort of the foundation, right, the building block for the brand. And we didn't just look at that okay, as, as a way of carrying through that DNA, but how do we bring that DNA and meaning through in this graphic device that has, uh, again, that purpose that's always reinforcing that notion of insights, revealing insights, highlighting insights, or delivering insights in a way that's really impactful and meaningful and also emotional sometimes. So throughout the system, that simple graphic element was capable of really highlighting moments within an image, containing information in a way that was bold, impactful, and also effective across different medias. So everything from out-of-home experiences to something as small as your phone. So this exercise in rigor and discipline was really capable of actually providing more of an expressive way of bringing the brand to life versus having such an eclectic mix of different tools and, and tricks and really sort of synthesizing it down into, you know, this sort of uh, this pure expression of the brand. The other thing for people who don't have the ability to access the screen as well, we also kind of looked at how can we bake or bring in some of those qualities into the photography as well. So, you know, we kind of evolved from this abstracted language that was often used to, in more of a flat way, I would say, to convey these, you know, really difficult conceptual ideas into a much more sort of multi-dimensional, perspective-based uh, notion of abstraction to really kind of deliver on some of those concepts that don't necessarily come to life through literal representation, right? Where people are in it and are more evocative of the spirit of that idea or the feeling you get when you're sort of trying to uh, communicate those notions. So interesting, Raph. It feels very tangible and dynamic, certainly, to look at it here. This notion of something that is arguably abstract in that insights I'd love you to react to that, Sam, in terms of how it's been received. You indicated there was universal approval. Why do you think that is so? And to what degree was there testing involved in this component? Mel and Lauren spoke about it earlier in the strategy and positioning components. Yeah, I mean, I think because people could see it was an evolution from where we were. So it kept the best of, of what we were, but it's evolved to something that is feels much more contemporary. So, you know, the vibrancy, it's modern. It is for a digital first era, which is where we were trying to move. But I think the fact that even the graphic motif, as it, it says for those who can see the slide, you know, that as an insights window and, you know, and having a definition for saying what we're going to sort of zoom in on something and bring attention to it. So I think, because there was a very rational explanation for everything, it got very well received and it was very cleverly thought through from start to finish. So, so that was the the you know the sort of internal feedback and the external feedback as well from the market testing that we did there. So, but you know we we went through an iterative process on it and we still are to some degree. And you know I think the days where you have a visual system and it doesn't change or over, I think it's in constant iteration. You know my, my plea to our countries is don't change anything locally, we change it centrally once. But if we want to change things, then that's how we will work going forward. And, and you know, and, and it just, it's much more fluid, I think, than, than how things would, would have worked in the past. Let's spend a moment on that, please, Sam, because questions are coming in around how did you roll it out across such a large organization? Did you tweak the brand for certain markets? 
Was there a degree of localization? Was it uniform? Or indeed, how did you think about brand guidelines and the degree of flexibility you afforded to the different member member firms? And I, I recognize that too is a work in progress. What have you learned thus far? Yeah, so we did. I mean, this is, you know, luckily not our first rodeo. So, you know, we did our last refresh in around 2016. So so we've already, you know, been through rigorous process of changing the guidelines and looking at that. We did work at speed and, and Raph will know this of, of the pressure of, of trying to turn this around quite quickly. I think back to that point of it's not a case if we change it and then that's it and we might have some things right, some things not quite so right. We, we knew it would be quite fluid, but we wanted to get something out quite quickly. So we set up a brand council where we've got sort of 15 different countries represented and about 24 people sit on that, including our global brand team. So we work with them. So it was a very collective effort and it continues to be so. That group meets fortnightly and we look at things, what's working, what might we change. We also leaned into where countries were doing particular things. So someone had a big sponsorship or event. We use that as an option to say, right, let's zoom in on that and work through how the guidelines might work in that context. So, so big guidelines, lots of detail. RAF joined us. We trained all of our marketing communication folk, about 3,000 people we did over a space of time. We did that regionally. Um, we were very hands-on with that. Um, you know, even I kind of even led on that training for all of our people across MNC. Um, and then obviously we have to change the, you know, the processes and the systems. So, so therefore changing people's load sets locally, that has to happen by country. And there's still some things we're working through now, yeah, in terms of, of where we are. But we just took every area, whether it was events, whether it was sponsorship guidelines, whether it was PowerPoint, and we sort of systematically worked through it through a series of work streams that all added into that brand council so we could make a collective judgment there. And, and that's how we worked on it, really. Yeah, two themes are ringing through very loudly. And at Raph, I'd love your reaction one is the collaboration and two, systems thinking in this process. Raf, what would you reflect on now vis-a-vis the use of design to express strategy? Because this is more than visual identity. This feels like design expressing strategy. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of smiling at that notion because obviously this was at the beginning or sort of early stages of the pandemic. And I was waking up having my my, my coffee with Sam on these calls and Lauren while she was having her lunch. So we got to know each other uh, pretty quickly and we were working very quickly. And then actually, I think that really facilitated the outcome because we were sort of looking at things and assessing things in real time, essentially. So as you know, and when it came time to start actually training people on uh, training the different member firms, it actually almost felt that, you know, we were kind of already planning for the future of the brand because what you see here is only the tip of the of the iceberg, right? There were so many different ways that we were kind of thinking about how we can dream this up in another five years or 10 years, but we really just needed to kind of think about, okay, how do we find a universal language that's capable of be evoking and speaking to multiple audiences, a multitude of audiences in, in a way that's actionable, right, in real time, but also is true to the brand. So all of that was consistently kind of a conversation that was almost kind of like the through line of, of the conversation and the development of the brand. And I think that was really kind of facilitated through that partnership, sort of that shoulder to shoulder spirit that I think is already inherent to the culture at, at KPMG, 
but then also bringing, working that into our day-to-day relationship. So for me, that was kind of one of the key beneficial parts of, of our dynamic, essentially. Yeah. Thank you for that, Raf. So now that we've reflected on the strategy, the identity, Lauren, let's get back to the business goals and how you thought about and the team thought about activating this brand to drive demand across the many professional services that KPMG provides. Talk to us about that process, how you navigated it, and what's working. Sure. So, I mean, it's an interesting question because about activation, because as multidisciplinary firm with so many services and so many solutions, it's the consistency in branding that when it's done over time with repetition and intentionality will really change perception. So we needed to create a flexible system at the global level. And as they just described, you know, SAN, RAF, wherever it was completely collaborative. And they appreciate that about the countries. The countries and member firms appreciate that about global. So it was a true global effort to, to get this done. But we needed to create the activation at the country level, at the member firm level is the, really where it's re- responsible for bringing the brand activation to life and to uh, adjust it and tailor it to the needs of our country and our our businesses in so many different ways. So to do that in the U.S., we built on the positioning. I wouldn't say we meandered, but we uh, definitely built on the positioning and created a storytelling platform called Opportunity Insights, where we selected client stories and told them through a video series across many different services and solutions that we have. But what we did for consistency beyond the visual consistency that, you know, Raf just talked about was that we thread that needle through all of the stories that we told so that they had a consistent structure in how we were, you know, filming the videos and how we were telling the stories. So we started with a consistent opening that established the brand positioning. And then we showcase the journey from challenge to insight in the story. The third segment was about the insight discovery, telling the details of the story and of the team finding the opportunity in the insight. And then the closing segment was really about that insight driving to an outcome. So um, the whole video and the video series itself, they're less than two minutes, but we've told the story completely from insight to opportunity to outcome in that short time frame. And we are we're able to do this across very different solution sets. So I'll tell you just you know two of the stories briefly to show you how this works across pretty different client stories. In one story, we told the the, the story of a client uh, called BKV, where we helped them stand up a data strategy and governance program so that they could get clear insights and analytics on their business. And in that video, we had actually the CEO, in addition to the lead KPMG partner telling the story. Then in another film, we talked about our work with the Morehouse School of Medicine. And and there we were showing how we used insights about COVID-19 and that health-related information in the community to support those that were disproportionately impacted and provide greater care and resources during the pandemic. So both of those were focused on the insights that the KPMG team came up with and the opportunity that led uh, to our client for them as well as for their customers. So the videos themselves, the Opportunity Insights platform is really performing well. It's amazing how much engagement and time spent with 
with the videos and, and with the related content there is. So for us now going forward, that important thing is to carry the Opportunity Insight platform through whatever we're doing across all of our different solution areas. And so while we may get sick of something internally, you know, that's when you know you're doing it right and you're doing it enough and having the consistency needed to to really change that brand perception. And, you know, like many have said, we're just getting started on this. There's so much more opportunity to do that. And this brand refresh is, you know, frankly, still in its infancy. And and so we're going to be growing and continuing to to use it in many different ways uh, in the marketing that we're doing. And anecdotally, any reactions from the professionals and the partners in terms of its ability to drive business and to drive growth? There's really positive reaction from it. There's, I mean, look, you always get many varying opinions when it comes to brand work, but we were very data-driven about it. And so we were able to be uh, you know, certain and feel confident in our decision-making and moving forward. But the reaction we're getting is really positive. I mean, the, like Sam said, the visual identity piece of it is incredibly well-received and feels so much more modern, so much more you know, digitally friendly, you know, definitely a positive reaction to the pink accent color. So I, I don't know if you're intentionally wearing a pink dress today, but I appreciate that. So yeah, a lot of positive reaction internally from employees and, and partners and professionals. Fascinating. Thank you for sharing that feedback, Lauren. So Sam, let's continue to look futuristically. Big ambition. How do you maintain relevance? How do you nurture this? How do you keep the momentum of this um, refresh that has been received so well internally to mitigate the meandering and benefit from the upside. Yeah, so as Lauren said, I think, you know, we're really now looking at, you know, what what I would term the sort of branded client experience. And, and, you know, to pick up your last point, because Insights is really gets to the heart of client delivery, We've chosen something that that I think is a real, you know, lever for growth. And and I think our business leaders recognize that. So I think that's also why it's been so positively received. Um, Insights itself is, you know, it's not the easiest. You know, we've done a lot of deep diving to say, what do we mean by insights? So, you know, we talk about it as, you know, what we've learned based on the facts. So what we've done is we've reviewed all of our content and our thought leadership to see how insightful it is. We've used external people to work with us on that. We've researched the market around how our clients consume insights at different stages of the client journey. So, and, and right now we're, you know, looking at all of this in this client experience, working with our global customer team. So we're focusing particularly on initial awareness to early stage meetings of the client journey. And we're sort of saying, right, how do we really bring insights to the fore at those stages? So we're doing it properly. We're really deep diving it and we're going to crack that. And then we're going to build out from there as we move forward. But, you know, like everything, it's it's really now, how do we really lock this into our sort of systems, processes and our behaviors so that we truly operationalize it across our business? Yes, indeed, Sal. And I'm seeing some more questions come in. I continue to invite those questions, folks, please, in our audience in the Q&A. Unsurprisingly, Sam, the hard question has arrived around ROI. How are you measuring the any sort of ROI on the refresh, be it around employee retention? Are you doing any service? Yeah. 
Yeah, so, so quite a lot happens from a brand tracking perspective at country level. So, you know, Lauren looks after that for her market, etc. But we are now going into market with a global brand tracking survey. So that's just underway. And that's going to give us a benchmark as well to work from. So I'm not expecting quite yet to be the significant push that we're, that we're hoping for. But I think it's going to give us, you know, a good metric to work on, particularly, I think, on how it's helping to drive consideration, you know, back to the growth strategy that Lauren yes. talked about earlier. So that's the direction of travel. So that is what we're moving to. And, you know, we will do that across, again, our main countries, but other countries will come in on that as we do it as well. So we're back into proper brand tracking. We do it at country level. We do it around particular campaigns is what we do right now, but we're moving back into doing it globally, really to, as I say, give us, um, you know, a benchmark to build on from this as we move forward. So when we will ask, you know, really push on the insightful bit and see where we are on that. And we've done really, even since we started, we've we've been really taking insights to heart. So taking our own medicine. So each time it's a bit like the work we've done on our content, you know, we've gone out and said, let's really test how insightful our content is so that we know where we are on that. And so we will continue to do that. And we've learned more about ourselves. So even having chosen this route, We've been encouraged by some of the research we've done since on the feedback we've had around how insightful we are. And that's been a, a positive endorsement, really, of the direction that we've taken. Excellent. Thanks, I Sam. I'll in a bit with the yeah. um, with actual results, because like Sam said, we're, you know, we've got a global brand tracker in field. But we have in the U.S., because of our activation, done many different digital studies and studies in partnership with content publishers and seen really positive movement so far. I mean, we've been out in market for over almost a year now, actually, and um, seen double-digit growth and movement in brand perception and brand familiarity and brand favorability. I'm sure brand consideration is more of a lagging indicator. So, you know, it's all about consistency and sustaining the spend in, in market, but we are already seeing positive movement from the market studies that we have been doing. Wonderful. And you're looking at the uh, perception, familiarity, consideration, those are the primary vectors that you're analyzing? Yeah. For the brand uh, campaign and the brand spend, yes. But the bigger picture that Sam was talking about, we have much more business outcome-driven metrics for all of the campaigns that we're running. And we're working really closely between the, you know, call it the master brand campaign and all of our solution driven campaigns so that it's all working together and helping to drive a collective outcome. Okay. So I'm now going to ask you to reflect on the process. Invite all four of you to somewhere between sharing lessons learned. I'm getting questions around anything you might do differently with the power of hindsight or indeed any surprises, unexpected, be they positive or less so. I gather from this conversation, it was a very rigorous, well thought through process, but did surprises come your way? I'm going to start with you, Raf, in your domain. Lessons learned, reflections on this program. Yeah, I would say one of the things that I think was really sort of a universal lesson that I think is really beneficial, and I sort of touched on it earlier, is that the ability to kind of maintain that bird's eye view and also be cognizant of all the blind spots going into the positioning exercise and then taking a moment and saying, okay, we need to assess everything together. So that I think was incredibly 
one of the things that I sort of take away as being really powerful, I, I think, with anyone that's considering uh, undergoing an exercise like this. And for me, was also was uh, a key thing in terms of helping the move forward, the work move forward to bring it to where it is today, which again kind of ladders into the, the partnership and the conversation that was ongoing. Mel, the same question. Reflections. You know, it's been interesting in this this call. It starts making you think differently about various things, right? But I, I think the one I keep coming back to is power of looking forward. Like I, you know, I think we genuinely believe that brands aren't built by just you know looking looking to the past in the rearview mirror. They're not built by um, just showing a mirror of the organisations it currently has. And I think the willingness of KPMG and to really take a step forward and say like, this is our vision of the future for for the world and for clients, and to build that into our positioning, I think that's been so positive. And I think that's that's why there's been such a big uptake in this sense. People, it helps someone know what they want to do in the morning. You know, what's the insight? What's the opportunity? All the way through to some of these bigger things we see of like activations with the UN or the Nasdaq, etc. Um, but I, you know, real, real credit to the organisation in, in backing something that that really takes them forward and looks forward. Thank you, ma'am. Sam, same question and an opportunity to offer, from your vantage point, anything you might do differently or any surprises? Yeah, I guess when you get to my age, this is, I think, the, maybe the third or the fourth brand refresh that I've done across my career. But And I think that the older I've got as well, I've always thought it's not necessarily what it is, it's your ability to implement it and that really counts. And I think as long as the positioning that you choose is authentic to who you are as a brand and relevant to your stakeholders, then I don't really mind what it is. You can make it work. And, and you know, I feel really strongly about this. It's all about the execution and it's the way that you execute it that will make it distinctive and therefore then ownable. And, and people look for this holy grail of, oh, you need to come up with something that's different from everybody else, et cetera. You just need to execute it better than anybody else. And I think I think there's a really big lesson in that. And the older I get, the more I'm convinced that that's the right route. And then the second thing I would say for, for us, and it's no, no um, surprise, I don't think, is influencing and stakeholder management in our business is everything. And we have to continue to inspire our leadership on the business benefits of strengthening the brand and and using every opportunity to do that so those would probably be the the two things margaret i would would pull through lauren you get to have the last word <laughs> i will build on sam's last point about the stakeholder management because as i um think about the many takeaways and learnings that we had from this experience the one thing that i think i would do differently is that it's, I think it's best to do the messaging work and the creative work together. So I've experienced that it's hard for people to imagine things, and especially internal stakeholders that are outside of marketing. So when you start with just words, it's it's hard, and this is already a hard exercise. So anything that you can do to make it easier is certainly welcomed. They say a picture is worth a thousand words, and I think that that's so true, And and having a robust discussion internally about branding and then making a decision about it, I think it would be much more of a uh, an effective or smoother process when there's both the message and the visuals in place at the same time so that people are responding to that complete picture. Well, thank you for that. And 
Thank you and congratulations. I hope you've had an opportunity to celebrate it internally and externally. So thank you, Sam. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you to everyone at KPMG. And thank you and congrats to Raf and Mel and your teams at Siegel and Gale. I know you've put a lot of energy and passion and advocacy into this. And no doubt it is very appreciated. To our audience, should you have friends who may have missed this, I invite you to follow Siegel and Gale Says on your favorite podcast platform. If there is another topic that is of interest to you, my audience members, please feel free to reach out to me, Malloy at SiegelGale.com or any of your Siegel and Gale colleagues, and we would be delighted to program another episode that answers the most pressing questions you have around unlocking brand. With that, I'm Margaret Malloy, thanking you and wishing you a wonderful rest of day. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for listening to this episode of Siegel and Gale Says. You can read more thought leadership pieces and explore our work at SiegelGale.com. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcast or wherever you listen. While you're at it, please leave us a review. See you next time.